Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the fate of the euro, a topic which was once a burning concern but which has now gone oddly quiet. With economic growth reviving in the eurozone, is the euro crisis now over? Or is this just a lull before another euro storm? Joining me on the line to discuss all this are Claire Jones, our correspondent and European Central Bank watcher in Frankfurt, and Martin Sandbu, our economics commentator and author of the Free Lunch blog. Martin, if I can turn to you first, what's your feeling? Do you think that with this revival of economic growth in Europe, there's room for more optimism about the fate of the euro? I think there is a lot more room for optimism, and there has been for quite some time, but I am a bit of a euro-optimist, as you know. But our, our colleague Chris Giles had a very nice piece in the FT just the other day pointing out that there's been this unpraised recovery, a sort of unsung hero of economic growth in the eurozone. Actually, things are going reasonably well. Decent growth rates, nothing spectacular, but good Nobody knows and nobody seems to know that the Eurozone created as many jobs as the U.S. economy did over the last year. So things are actually going in the right direction. Unemployment is falling. Credit is expanding. Growth is there and doesn't seem to be tapering off. There are some black spots. Obviously, Italy is not doing well. Greece still has problems. But on the whole, the euro area is in pretty good shape economically. Could always be better, but that's true of pretty much every economy since the crisis. And Claire, I mean, you're sitting in Frankfurt in daily contact with the ECB. They must have been in crisis mode for several years now. Do you get the sense that they are more optimistic, that they share Martin's optimism, that they've kind of turned a corner? I wouldn't say the mood is quite optimistic yet. I'd say there is confidence building, and I think that is because in the in the second half of last year we saw quite a few um, political shocks and um, financial shocks, to say the least. And um, the recovery remained very resilient to those shocks. So I think there is more optimism, but I don't think we're, we're there yet. I think. You have had four factors which have really underlined this recovery. You've had a weaker euro and you've had lower oil prices. You've also got a fiscal policy that's a lot less restrictive now than it was a few years ago. And the most important element is perhaps what the ECB is helping to provide itself, which is the supply of cheaper and more plentiful amounts of credit, which... Not only have you got that through central bank policy, but also through um, banks being a little bit stronger than they once were. But I think what's probably still a concern for not just the ECB, but people throughout the region is that even though you've had those four very strong factors, this is Apache recovery. There's still parts of the region where unemployment is dreadfully high, especially for young people too. So I don't think you can quite be optimistic yet. There's also a difficulty in the sense that we see inflation coming back in Germany, we see lots of complaints from Berlin, but at the same time if the European Central Bank wants to pull back support, it's doing at a time where inflation is still low in countries like Italy and there are concerns about the banking system and the real economy there. So so it's more optimistic than it was, but 
not quite sunny, I'd say. Okay. And of course, as Martin, you you alluded to the fact that Greece is not being solved. And I guess if there's one big black cloud, you, there's Italy, of course, but, but let's talk about Greece for now. There does seem to be an increasingly open argument between the IMF and the European authorities and even within the IMF about whether policies to Greece are really working or whether you do need a rethink. Well, it depends what you mean by working, right? They have uh, had the most amazing fiscal consolidation probably in history. That has come uh, at a lot, a very high cost uh, to the Greek economy, to ordinary Greeks. Uh, I mean, the economic performance has been disastrous. And the question now, the debate now is on whether they continue to squeeze or do they accept you know, somewhat modest primary surpluses. And we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that they are actually running a primary surplus now, and the the different bailout partners are arguing about how big that surplus should be. So there's, I mean, the the two damaging things here. One is that this uncertainty doesn't serve anyone. As the longer they take to agree, the longer it will take before anyone feels confident about investing in any project in Greece, whether foreigners or Greeks themselves. The other thing is that to the extent that they continue to squeeze, they're going to keep causing the same harm that they have. You know, there was one year, 2014, when Greece returned to growth and yields fall, and you saw all the good signs, and that was the year they paused austerity for a year, and then they went back to into it in 2015. So I think it's a little bit the same story of the Eurozone writ large. When you have really harmful policies, you get very bad results. The debate is on whether it's necessary, and that depends on whether you're willing to uh, restructure some of the debt, which I think they should. Uh, but I think the best that could happen to Greece now is that we say, well, there's been enough. Let's not have any more austerity. Let's just keep the primary surplus we have. And I think, as the IMF expects, that they'll probably return to growth pretty soon. You know, When you compress a spring long enough and let it go, it will start to rebound. Uh, but there, there is the sense that the IMF, Claire, are unhappy with policies being pursued by the, the Eurozone's, if you like, insistence on austerity in Greece. If the IMF were to actually pull back from the current deal, how much is that likely to trigger a new crisis? Would, for example, the German parliament be prepared to keep going along with, with the bailout of Greece? I think that's a good question. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult to answer. I think the, the, the view from Berlin has been quite clear in saying that they... They don't want debt relief and they really seem to be keeping up this position. So it's and the IMF don't seem to be budging on that either. So it's hard to see a way forward if the IMF stays in. But without it being the I think a lot of people would think the Troika lacks the expertise perhaps to to really get Greece um to get Greece back on track. It's quite interesting with the German political situation now where you've got Martin Schulz who has taken, he's the new um, leader of the SPD, the rivals to, to Angela Merkel's CDU, who has suggested a, um, a, a a far softer line on Greece than the the finance minister that we've got at the moment, Wolfgang Schäuble. He's suggested some debt relief for, for Greece, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, how that affects the political climate. In Germany, the issue is that I think the public's views are probably nearer to those of Mr. Schäuble than, than to, to Mr. Schultz, even though he is seeming quite popular at the moment. And if things continue as, the, as they are, though, Martin, is it just a question of what you see as a kind of unnecessary and un, almost cruel hammering of Greece? 
or actually is it unsustainable and we're going to be back into a crisis? Because I think isn't the IMF's argument that Greek debt is just going to grow and grow without growth? Yeah, that's right. Of course, the those aren't mutually exclusive, the, the two things you just said. And it, again, it depends on what you think the goal is. If the goal is somehow to force the Greeks into submission and uh, incentivize them to suddenly create a northern European modern-style economy, it's, uh, it's just very unlikely. That's not how the politics works, and it's not how economies work. So at some point, I think people just have to decide to let the Greeks be Greeks as long as they don't have to pay for it. That's what the debate will, in the end, practically come down to. I think there's a very, very strong likelihood that there will be another crisis because it's hard to kind of let bygones be bygones and just end it and end this debate that isn't really very productive. So there may well be some sort of standoff. The worst thing that could happen from that is that there's some disorderly default from Greece if nobody can agree on how to refinance their debt. The important point is that that doesn't have to mean Greece leaving the euro. That's always been the misconception. It would be terribly messy, but I don't see Greece as being the threat to the euro that it was once taken to be. I'd, I'd worry more about what happens in the French elections, for example. Greece is a problem, especially for Greece, but I think by now it's largely contained is that your view Even too? If there is a new standoff. Sorry, is that your view too, Claire? That viewed from Frankfurt, that we kind of got used to Greek crises and it's not going to be terminal for the euro, even if it does flare up again. Well, the resilience of the eurozone economy to the likes of Brexit and the and the shock result in the U.S. election would suggest that this is something that can be um, can be contained. But you don't know. I mean, it depends on the timing. I, th- I think I think with all of this, if you, if, you, if it if, if if there's a Greek crisis at a time when um, there are other reasons for pessimism, then it can always have knock-on effects. If it happens at a time when the mood is, is is a little bit more optimistic, then there's no reason why a country which, let's face it, makes up a very small amount of the the total GDP of the eurozone can't really be really be contained. But I think it's difficult to tell just because. The way in which markets and, and businesses react to this sort of thing can can just depend on, um, well, for want of a better phrase, really, I think, is animal spirits. And meanwhile, what are the relations like between the ECB and Germany? Because there have been enormous tensions about lots of criticism of Mario Draghi, the central bank governor, for keeping rates very low for QE and so on, and complaints that German savers who are, you know, being thrifty are being punished by low interest rates. What's the state of that debate? So I think at the moment, Mario Draghi, the ECB's president, really wants to to stick to the plan to continue with quantitative easing throughout the year. I think he wants the central bank to go back to being um, what Mervyn King described as boring, which is the kind of bud perfect conditions to be a central bank you're kind of out of the limelight you don't have to do too much the issue is that um the more hawkish members of the of the ecb such as the the bundesbank president jens weidmann and his german counterpart at the executive board level um sabine lautenschläger have both already started calling for a new debate on tapering now i think that might happen over the summer it won't happen yet but it could if inflation remains high and the economy still looks pretty good and we don't see a Le Pen win in the French elections in May then later on towards the year I think there could be some sort of debate on trimming asset purchases probably not this year but maybe in 2018. 
And uh, generally, Martin, do you think that the euro, to kind of summarise, is after years of crisis becoming an accepted part of the financial global financial system? I mean, do you think the question marks about its future are now diminishing? I think people are starting to learn that there's a difference between the economic performance of the eurozone economies and the existence or survival of the currency itself. That was, of course, put into doubt back in 2011-2012. But the ECB, for example, very firmly came in to say, we are not going to allow self-fulfilling expectations, you know, to, uh, speculation against the survival of the euro, create that result, make that result happen. So there's both more determination to defend it if there is a sort of uh, attack on the euro. Uh, and beyond that, I think, as you hint at in your question, people are kind of getting used to it more and more. You look at, you ask about the financial system, but look about popular opinion. In every euro country, there is a majority in favor of the euro. So, so that's quite interesting after everything they've gone through, even in the most hard-hit countries. Of course, if Marine Le Pen, who says she wants to withdraw France from the euro, is elected in May, all bets are off. But, and you see some of the, the spreads in bond prices reflecting that. But on the whole, I think uh, people are getting more and more comfortable with the idea that the euro is here to stay. OK, well, thank you very much indeed for that, Martin Sandbu, and thanks also to Claire Jones in Frankfurt. That's all we have time for for now, and perhaps if there are no more euro crises, we can leave the subject for a while. If not, we'll certainly be back to it. But for now, thank you, and until next week, goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.